Uh, so last week I was visiting somebody in the hospital and I had called ahead and said, do you want me to bring you some coffee from Starbucks on my way there? They had been in the emergency room all night and so they gave me their order. I stopped at the Starbucks down the street from the med center there on Bel Air, Holcomb, and uh, it was super crowded. It's Christmas time. It was during rush hour, so long line. I am next in line. And I see out of the corner of my eye a woman about my age kind of hovering around. And then I made the mistake of looking at her. And she did that like, oh, is this, are you in line? And I was like, yeah, I'm in line. All these people behind me, also in line. (laughs) And I assumed that she was going to hang her head in shame and walk to the back of the line. But what she said instead was, uh, would you let me get in front if I buy your coffee? And I was like, sure, that sounds great. I don't care about these people behind me, of of course. Uh, But then we had to make awkward small talk because now we're partners in this coffee thing. And so, you know, we've trade stories. Um, She's American, been living in England for quite some time, an art dealer. Amanda and I lived in England, so we traded little anecdotes about England and whatnot. And then she said, well, uh, what do you do for a living? I was like, dang it, you know, like... That's the ultimate conversation killer. Once I say out loud, I'm a pastor, minister, clergy, there is no small talk. One of two things happen. Either they start confessing their sins or they, we just, nothing happens. Um, but she said, wow, uh, what kind of minister are you? And I said, um, a Jesus one? Uh, you know, trying to help people see him, believe in him, follow him. She says, that's so great. Um, What is a scripture that I can read? And I'm, I'm thinking, and out of my mouth, I say, John 3, 16. And as soon as I said it, I was like, man, I went to seminary, you know. Uh, I, I wish I would have pulled something from Nahum or his next door neighbor Habakkuk, you know, something just like some rich thing. Uh, but I said John three sixteen, and she wrote it down and we talked about it for just a second and then we went on our way. And so I thought, if John 3.16 is good enough for the Starbucks, then we should talk about it tonight. Uh, so I thought we'd all read it together out loud. You can see it on the screen behind me. Read this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved Whatever you think about, when you think about God, it needs to include love. But I'm guessing for a a large percentage of us this evening, when we think about God, love is not in the picture. Uh, Because most of us, our imagination about God is shaped by our past experience. And then we interpreted our view of God based on our past experience. And so for a lot of us, we prayed that this one thing would happen and it didn't happen. And then so we made an interpretation about who God is and what he cares about and how he cares about me. Whether that thing was true or not or that interpretation was accurate. That's why most of us tonight do not 
think of love as soon as we think about God. We may think about justice, we may think about discipline, we may be thinking about rejection, but you cannot think about the God of the Bible without immediately thinking about love. Even 1 John chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 16 says that God is love. It's in his essence. You can't separate love and God. And this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 15 when he tells the uh, most epic story ever. The, the story of the prodigal son, which a lot of our television shows and movies are just modern retelling of, of this, this story that Jesus told. And, and you remember it. A young man was tired of living on his dad's farm. And so he goes to his dad and says, I just want my inheritance. We have a lot of money. I want what's coming to me now. Very disrespectful. He goes off. He wastes it on selfish living. He hits rock bottom. And he thinks, I, I need to go back home because my father's servants, the people who work on the farm with us, they're better taken care of than what I'm experiencing here. I know I can't go home as a son anymore. I burned that bridge. I'll just ask if I can go home and be a servant. And so he makes the long distance home. And you remember what happens is the scripture says that when his father saw him from a long way off, he started running and he wrapped his arms around him and then he started kissing him all over the, the place and then he threw a massive party in his son's honor. And the son does something in the story that you and I do a lot. Whenever we think about God and we want that acceptance from God, we ask ourselves, what is it going to take? What are the conditions in which God will accept me? Right. And for the son in the story, it was he'll accept me on the condition that I come home as a servant. Not a son anymore. I was too disrespectful. But if I come on the condition of, hey, I'm just here to serve you. This is not about me. I just need kind of food, shelter, and water. Then maybe my father will accept me. And you probably have thought about the conditions in which God will accept you. He'll accept you if you start coming to church more. He'll accept you if you start really kind of following through. He'll accept you if you read the scripture more. And we get to the end of a year and we always make a New, year, New Year's resolution Spiritually speaking, based on, I think God will accept me more if I do these things. But what the story of the prodigal son says is that God's welcome is unconditional. He just takes you in the state that you are in right now. Because God is love. For God so loved the world. John chapter 3 is, is really a story about a religious man named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus late at night because he didn't want to really be seen with Jesus, and he asked, this is my modern vernacular, he asked Jesus, what's your deal? Because you don't fit in any of the boxes that I have. And it's in that context that we get John chapter 3, verse 16. And Nicodemus believed that he and his friends and people like him, God loved best of all. You ever met anybody like that? That they might agree that God loves everybody, but God especially loves me. It's probably the way that Nicodemus was, Nicodemus' friends. So when Nicodemus heard, for God so loved the world, that would have been a challenge to Nicodemus' worldview. God loves us all, especially the way that the Gospel of John uses the word world. He'll go on to say that the world is not just people around the globe, it's actually opponents of God. People who set themselves up as the adversaries of Jesus, that even God loves them. I think that's why God sends the Magi, the wise men, to, to visit Jesus after he was born. Because there's really no purpose for that. Uh, God could have provided gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus' family lots of different ways. He didn't need to send these royal people from Persia, uh, magicians, astrologers. Uh, there, there seems to be no mention of them after that. So why on earth would God put a star in the sky to 
make these people follow it to come and, and worship Jesus. I think just to give a living demonstration of what John 3.16 here is, is that God loves the entire world. There are not just a few select people that God loves the most. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When God gives, he gives his best. And here he gives his son. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, God has delivered his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, and he's taking them to the land of promise, land flowing with milk and honey, a land that will be a permanent home to them. In between those two places is wilderness, and God's people are living in tents. And God does the most outrageous thing. He says, I want to live in a tent too. And so he has his people build him a tent. Of course, God is everywhere. They knew that. But for that period of time, God had an earthly address, in a tent, in the middle of his people, also living in tents. And that's what John chapter 1 verse 14 is saying. That Jesus, the eternal son of God, the word of God, he put on this tent that we know as humanity. Human flesh. To dwell among us. That's why in the gospels it says that Christmas is all about Emmanuel. God has come to live with us. Even the name that God gave his son, earthly name, proves this fact. Jesus uh, was a, a popular name. 1932 in America, according to the Social Security folks, uh, the most popular names were Mary and Robert. If you were having a baby in 1932, Mary and Robert. 1967, Lisa and Michael. 1970, Jennifer and Michael. 1986, Jessica and Michael. <laughs> 1999, Emily and Jacob. 2008, Emma and Jacob. 2018, Emma and Liam. And best I can tell by some investigative Googling, uh, Emma and Liam will take the title home in 2019 as well. If they had one of these lists, the Social Security people of 4 B.C. Israel, uh, Jesus, uh, or what he would have heard when his mom called him in for dinner, Yeshua, would have probably been on the list. It was a very popular name. Lots of people had the name Yeshua. They got that name from one of the heroes of their faith. It'd be like if you named your son, or I named my son, George Washington Jones, or fill-in-the-blank hero, Joshua, the Battle of Jericho, lots of people had the name Yeshua. But God chose that name for Jesus. And it, again, demonstrates that the eternal Son of God just put on regular humanity. God lived in a tent with us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And that word gave, it, it, it encapsulates two holidays. Christmas, the one we're celebrating today, and Good Friday. God gave his son to Mary and Joseph. God gave his son to the world. God gave his son to be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus gave his life for us on the cross.
gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, if you're lucky enough to have a present under a tree tomorrow, and do count yourself lucky if somebody gives you a present tomorrow, a huge percentage of the world won't get that opportunity. But if you are lucky enough to have a present under a tree somewhere, in order for it to truly become yours, you're going to have to take hold of it. Somebody has already done all the work. They thought of you. They bought it for you. They wrapped it for you. And they brought it for you. But it doesn't actually become yours until you take hold of it. And when John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him, that's the way that we take hold of this thing that God has done for us by giving his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, last Sunday, I was driving to church with my son, Jackson, who's 13, and we were talking about some of these things, and he said, you know, I have a hard time picturing forever, and, and what he meant was eternal life, you know, like, which makes sense, like, there's, we're going to be there forever and ever and ever, and you get to, like, the 15th ever, and it's hard to imagine it still being fun after that long, you know, it is hard to picture eternal life if we're only thinking of eternal life in the terms of length. Um, but the scripture says eternal life is not just length, it's essence, it's quality, it's a kind of, of life. Right. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this this year, but um, a lot of our favorite Christmas movies um, end, resolve with somebody around a dinner table or a breakfast table. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie, I think, is uh, A Christmas Story, The Red Rider BB Gun. Uh, I don't know, they plays for like 24 hours a day, Christmas Eve and Christmas uh, morning. I don't know if it's on yet. Um, we're going to wrap up soon so I can go home and watch it. Uh, and it ends with them having a meal together. So just start noticing a lot of movies, not just Christmas movies, they resolve with people sharing a meal together. And actually the Bible does that same thing. Um, in Revelation chapter 19, now I learned in seminary that you're not supposed to bring up the book of Revelation in a Christmas message. Those two things don't go together. But when you're talking about eternal life, it really does because there are these real vivid and, and realistic and earthy pictures of eternal life in Revelation. And it ends... Chapter 19, after there's been lots of conflict and war between this group and that group, and Jesus returns, and there's all these Christians being put, all this rich stuff, it ends with this massive feast. In fact, the feast was so incredible to see that John, the disciple of Jesus, who's getting the vision of all this stuff, he just falls down and worships the first person that he sees. And it happens to be an angel. And the angel is like, you can't worship me. You need to worship God. And John knew that, but he was just so overwhelmed with, with picturing and seeing this amazing dinner, feast, celebration that was going to be had. And when I think about that, it's easier for me to wrap my mind around eternal life. It's not just forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It, it gets kicked off with a massive dinner. And you're going to be there if you have believed in Christ. And, and hopefully the people sitting next to you, they're also going to be there. Um, people that you were used to be close with, but for whatever reason, work took them away or life took them away or whatever, and they live in a different part, they're going to be there. People who have already gone on to be with the Lord, they're going to be at the table. Brothers and sisters in Christ that we've not ever had the pleasure to meet, they're going to be there. Maybe the heroes of the faith might be at your dinner table. You might walk up and Billy Graham's name might be on the little placard. 
and then the Lord Jesus Christ himself will be there. Because eternal life isn't just about length of time. It's, it's uh, well, I think maybe for the first time we'll know the home that our souls were created for. And what makes all of that possible? Because God so loved the world. Let's pray.